Welcome in to a Tuesday edition of the program power on the talk of Muncie. The new WMUN lots to get to today. Yes, we do. Um, We'll talk to Gus Martin from the Star Press about 40 minutes from now about a big matchup with Ball State and Georgia Southern. I don't, you know, when you hear the name Georgia Southern, um, there may not be a lot of knowledge of the history or, you know, what they've done in the past but this is a really good football team and a really good test. And I I know in a lot of ways you can control your schedule, but in some ways you can't. But in this case, I think it's a perfect matchup as this being your last non-conference game before you head to Mid-American Conference play. Because as we mentioned before, Georgia Southern is very Mid-American Conference-like in uh, the schedule they play and the type of team that they are. So I think a good test for both teams, as both teams have had Power 5 conference-level opponents over the last several of weeks. And, um, you know, uh, I I think this is going to be a lot of fun uh, coming up on Saturday at Schumann Stadium. We'll talk more about that with Gus Martin from the Star Press a little bit later on. Also, uh, running backs are back in the conversation. Uh, We'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, Colts schedule moving forward. You know, when you sit there and you're one and one, okay, and you get that first win out of the way, um, it feels a little different than it did a year ago because through two games you were 0-1-1 if you're the Indianapolis Colts. But I'm just throwing this out there, okay? Uh, you've got two road games and two home games here in the next four matchups. I think the most daunting of the four is this one coming up on Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens, which we'll dive into here in a little bit. Uh, But Ravens this Sunday, following Sunday, the Los Angeles Rams. Then you have the Tennessee Titans that have been anything but uh, exciting to begin. And then you go to Jacksonville. Look, that was a game in the fourth quarter against Jacksonville that was winnable. Jacksonville didn't look very good against Kansas City. Both teams really struggled to score the football. You know, if you play that style of game again, w- what do you have against Jacksonville? And I don't know. I'm looking at the next four games, and then after that, you've got a stretch of Browns, Saints at home, and then the Panthers. So we'll dive in a little bit deeper uh, to what might be possible for the Indianapolis Colts over the next several of weeks. And once again, it feels like this happens every month or has quite consistently over uh, this, uh, this summer which we're still in summer, even though the weather feels a little chillier. I was out playing golf last night and was just shocked at, you know, like 7.30, it starts to get dark. And I'm like, when did we, when did we just turn off the light switch? When did, when did this change? But um, it was a beautiful night last night to play. Anybody that's uh, looking to get some golf in, man, this is the perfect time to do it. Uh, But we are still in summer, but another Ball State baseball alum is headed to major League Baseball. That is Kyle Nicholas. We'll dive into a little bit of that coming up as well. Uh, your calls are welcome at 765-287-1340 at Mark WMUN on Twitter as well. Yes, we'll be joined by Gus Martin from the Star Press. And, you know, I think one of the biggest takeaways you have from Saturday's matchup against Indiana State is 
okay, what did the fourth quarter tell you? Um, when you're up 17-7 to and the game ends up being a 45-7 to win, um, where's the in-between on it? Uh, we'll get to all of that with Gus Martin from the Star Press here in a little bit. Uh, running backs are back in the news. And probably not to the positive of the position. It feels like the position has been in a standstill for quite some time. Now, um, injuries have certainly not helped the situation. And again, last night, Nick Chubb, the big uh, injury, uh, that one, again, kind of unavoidable. I I said it before and I'll say it again. Um, I I I guess I really didn't understand the turf conversation, natural grass versus turf when it came to the Aaron Rodgers side of things, I know I'm getting sidetracked here, but I didn't understand how that ended up becoming, um, taking on a life of its own, because the way your leg or your ankle or is twisted on the turf is not the same as, you know, non-contact injuries we see with like ACLs, MCLs, those sorts of things. Anyway, that's a whole different conversation for a different day. I was having that conversation last night at golf. I don't get it. I felt like it was outcry from players. Um, you know, there's certain injuries that you say, yeah, could have been caused by the turf, but at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers was not. That was just a bad bend. And uh, man, that was a tough injury last night to Nick Chubb. And so you look at that situation last night, and and it brings up a couple of different conversations. And the latter of the two is going to take more time as we open up today's show. Uh, the, The first is, you know, I get it now from the running back position. You know, they are in the midst of all of the bodies between the defensive line and the offensive line. That stuff like last night, yeah, it's rare. Uh, but it can happen. We saw it with Saquon Barkley. We saw it with other others. And Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley were guys a part of this coalition uh, to get other running backs paid. And it's super unfortunate, but unfortunately, it almost emphasizes what you have going on with the running back position. It's it's to the point of the uh, the the owners. And the general managers to say, hey, you know what? Um, they, they take the most wear and tear, so why would we commit a certain amount of money, a certain amount of loyalty or, 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 or long-term commitment to a position who takes that wear and tear? I'll be curious what happens with Nick Chubb. Um, I'll be curious what happens this offseason with Saquon Barkley. I'll be interested to see what happens with Josh Jacobs, with Jonathan Taylor. I mean, you're talking about the top of the top of this profession. And unfortunately, you know, and this isn't really what the conversation should be surrounding Nick Chubb, but it brought up the larger running back situation in the NFL, which at the end of the day is early on this season in two weeks, it has really almost devalued Jonathan Taylor's and others' position. Like last night, Nick Chubb gets injured and a backup no-name running back, Jerome Ford, you probably only know him if you happen to uh, follow his college or know him from a different stop because that was the first I had heard of his name. Jerome Ford rushed for 106 yards in last night's matchup between the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So much so that nearly every fantasy football league, if you look at the trends 
of, you know, on Yahoo, I don't know if this is the same on ESPN, uh, but there are what they call transaction trends. And Jerome Ford was the number one transaction trend on fantasy football. Now, fantasy football isn't reality, but it gives you an indication that fantasy football is kind of the same way. You lose a running back, you go and get the backup because, again, it's more unlikely than ever that a team that loses their running back goes out and signs a veteran. It just doesn't happen. You know, the Colts ended up bringing in Kenyon Drake in the offseason in training camp. They ended up cutting him and staying with Zach Moss, Deion Jackson, Jake Funk, Evan Hull, etc., rather than the reported interest that they had in Kareem Hunt, the reported interest that they, uh, I I guess, looked around the idea of Leonard Fournette. They stuck in-house, and they stuck it with what they have from a, a financial component, and B saying, you know what, we can do it by committee, what we have in-house. Jerome Ford is doing that for the, uh, the, 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 the Cleveland Browns. Actually, the Baltimore Ravens are a good example of this. J.K. Dobbins, I think, is, has one year left in his deal. Unfortunately, in week one, tears his Achilles tendon. They decide to stick with Gus Edwards and uh, stick with what they have um, in-house. Is it Jeremy Hill is another one of their running backs? Again, Gus Edwards, people know his name because he played a little bit last year when uh, J.K. Dobbins was coming back from yet another serious knee injury. But Baltimore, a team that is going for it. Cleveland is a team that is kind of going for it. They went all in with Deshaun Watson. They went all in in multiple different areas. And rather than say, well, there's Kareem Hunt. Oh, yeah, you know, there's Leonard Fournette. Um, there, there's there's a lot of different guys in free agency. There's also the trade component of Jonathan Taylor out there. And yet these teams are deciding to say, you know what? We like the two guys we have in-house as backups. We are going to stick with that. Cleveland, their head coach today, Kevin Stefanski, said, basically, Jerome Ford is our running back going forward. Uh, unless something changes, that's what Cleveland's going to do. You know, the, the, maybe the best player on their football team was Nick Chubb. And he great player, you lose him, you would think, oh, hey, you know what, they're going to go into free agency and go in and bring another running back in. It's not what they're doing. They're saying next man up. You know, you hear coaches say that all the time, next man up, somebody else has got to step up, that's why they're on their roster. But the NFL is a little different than college and high school because you have the ability to go improve that position. You have the ability to go sign a player in free agency, and there are guys that have played a lot of snaps over the years for multiple different teams. These teams, and they aren't middle-of-the-road teams. They are the Baltimore Ravens and Cleveland Browns that if you would have looked across the league, many would have had either of them as playoff caliber teams. Some have Baltimore as a Super Bowl contender. They are electing to stay in-house with that position. I think that is the most dominant statement that you can make if you're an NFL football team or you're an organization that if you're going for it, you know, kind of like the Miami Dolphins. Last 
uh, trade deadline, they made two of the biggest moves this offseason. They went out and got Jalen Ramsey. You guys know my thoughts on Jalen Ramsey, yet he's a good player. He's a good player, you know, good cornerback and one of the better ones in the league and certainly makes your team better if you're going on a playoff run. I can even admit that. They brought in Bradley Chubb. They brought in other guys, yet you know, the one piece that they felt like they're missing is the running back position, and they are doing it by committee. Devin A. Chain, uh, Raheem Mostert, who really hasn't played football in about two years. He had 100-plus yards and two rushing touchdowns this past weekend. It is looking more bleak by the day for these running backs because – at the end of the day, you know, every other team is saying, you know what, we don't need to invest significant assets in getting a running back because the third guy on our roster is way better than, you know, um, signing uh, uh, Kareem Hunt for $3.5 million for one year. It is an incredible statement that is being made league-wide. And, you know, every time this situation occurs, like the, the week one story, one of them, outside of the Aaron Rodgers was J.K. Dobbins. Now, that story got buried after the whole Aaron Rodgers stuff kind of occurred. But J.K. Dobbins goes down. You see zero running back moves for the Baltimore Ravens. Then this week, Nick Chubb, I think a bigger name than J.K. Dobbins. He goes down. The coach the very next day says, Jerome Ford's our, our, our feature running back going forward. What a statement that's being made league-wide. Doesn't look good for guys going to free agency. And, you know, you would think, like, when the Colts kind of halted the trade talks for Jonathan Taylor, they're doing a couple of different things. One, they're basically trying to prove to Jonathan Taylor there's really nothing out there. But in the back of their minds, what you're doing is saying, we don't feel like there's fair value out there, so let's wait for something to happen. Well, you know what that something happening is? Is teams like Baltimore, teams like Cleveland, that are going for it and have an unfortunate injury. I would describe J.K. Dobbins and Nick Chubb's injuries as being of that caliber. Well, guess what's happening? They're not moving off those. Cleveland isn't making calls. You know, uh, Baltimore isn't making calls. They're saying we're good with what we've got. So, you know, as this continues to go down the road, Are we getting our answer about Jonathan Taylor? And really, the ball is going to be in Jonathan Taylor's court. Here in a couple of weeks, does he come back and say, I'm ready to play? Or does he come back and say, I am so upset with the way this situation occurred that he will sit out the season? Because it doesn't feel like, at this point in time, there is a realistic landing spot for Jonathan Taylor. Because if the Colts are going to hold to what they feel is fair value, then they're not going to get the value they want. Which means you're going to go back to Jonathan saying, we are not trading you for what they're asking, so you can either sit out or you can play. And you know what? As we sit here on September the 19th, after I, I think you get through this week, next week there will be a little bit of noise about the fact that, hey, the four-week aspect is over for Jonathan Taylor. You're asking the question, man, what, uh, what, what, what's going to happen in week number five? You know, you can activate him 
off of the uh, uh, the 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 injured reserve and you bring him back and what happens next, it'll be interesting because I think we're getting the statement from around the league that there's not going to be a market for this. I think we already knew that, but the the situations that we were expecting to maybe see some traction are the ones that Cleveland and the ones that Baltimore are going through right now. Now, it's been less than 24 hours for Cleveland, so it's possible they may say, wow, we, we really don't like our, our, our skill position players. Let's call the Colts and see if Jonathan Taylor, what it's really going to take. It's been a short amount of time. For Baltimore, it's been a week and a half. Okay? But I you just kind of get the feeling the league sentiment is kind of what it is. And, man, that's going to put a, a really interesting spotlight on the Indianapolis Colts. I don't think the trade deadline is going to change anything. So what's going to change this situation? Probably nothing. So it's really, uh, there's two options. There's Jonathan Taylor plays, Jonathan Taylor sits. And by the way, when he is activated and when he is fully cleared, he can talk. Finally, he can talk to the media. And we get to stop speculating on all of this and get to hear it straight from him. He has masterfully kind of avoided the spotlight because he's been on physically unable to perform. He doesn't have to talk. He's been on injured reserve. He doesn't have to talk. That all changes when he goes on the active roster. That all changes. So you get to ask all those questions. You get to just get it right from the source. And that's what we've missed in this entire situation. But, you know, in a way, last night's issue, last week's issue with J.K. Dobbins, the statement has been sent indirectly to Jonathan Taylor. And, I, you know, I don't know how petty Jim Irsay or Chris Ballard is, but if I was, you know, if I was in that seat, I would say, hey, uh, just so you know, Jonathan, uh, the Cleveland Browns and Baltimore Ravens, they haven't called. You, know, you might have seen that Nick Chubb, unfortunate. You know, we don't want to ever see that, um, Jonathan. Um, he, he gets injured. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, what an unfortunate injury for both of them. But, you know, uh, if you're thinking that Baltimore and Cleveland are calling and, and wanting your services, uh, they have not. They haven't called. So just thought we'd let you know. Thanks for talking. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, that might sound petty. That's business. You know, Jonathan Taylor's wanted to make this a business situation. Well, that's business. And I'd be very frank if I was Chris Ballard or Jim Irsay to call Jonathan Taylor and let him know exactly what is not happening that he thinks is going to happen. You know? Cleveland and Baltimore isn't calling Indianapolis. So, man, this is just getting more interesting by the day. You hate to have these conversations because last night's uh, Nick Chubb injury was really tough to watch. Really tough to watch. Um, and, and then J.K. Dobbins. You know, those are two guys as well that have been injured in the past significantly. Um, ACL with uh, J.K. Dobbins a couple of years back. And then it was an MCL, PCL ACL tear all in the same knee for Nick Chubb. Apparently, it's the same one this time around. That's tough. It really is. But here's the reality of the situation. Um, It's not changing for the Colts anytime soon. So as we count down the weeks, 
we got two weeks until things get really interesting going into week number five, which, by the way, week number five would be uh, a home game versus the Tennessee Titans, <laughs> which always brings a little juice. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be an interesting, interesting week. So we'll dive into uh, the, the schedule coming up for the Colts coming up here in a little bit. Thanks to those of you joining us on Facebook Live, as you always, always do. Appreciate that very, very much on the program. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into that, uh, talk a little Ball State football, also a Ball State baseball player that is headed to Major League Baseball. We will also uh, talk a little bit about that as well. Hope you're having a great and not just a good, a great Tuesday. Because we got you covered here on The Power. This is the talk of Monsey, the new WMUN. Bone Road in Monsey Online, Walls, Furniture, and Mattress.com. Uh, they uh, uh, are having a big time mattress sale right now. Check them out uh, on Nebo Road in Monsey. Price of a. Uh, the price of a queen for a king means you get that size up, you get accessories with it. Yeah, it's all happening right now. Walls Furniture and Mattress, Nebo Road in Monsey Online, WallsFurniture.com. Calls welcome, 765-287-1340 at Mark WMUN on Twitter. Just saw this, and we'll talk about it right now. Uh, Ball State Women's Golf wins their own tournament. Yes, they are champions of the Brittany Kelly Classic. Um, I think the details just became final here in the last half hour or so. That's fantastic. Um, Ball State was 11 shots better of, uh, than UIC. This is a field that included two Mid-American Conference schools, Western Michigan and Eastern Michigan, but uh, they're about 14, 15 teams in this uh in this deal and uh, ball state women's golf champions that's a great start for cam andrey and uh his entire crew you know um i i wonder this and somebody that again is uh, more of a ball state sports historian than i am when's the last time that ball state men's golf won their own fall tournament and women's golf did the same thing because ball state men's golf won uh, the earl Yestingsmeyer classic last week and a Ball State women's golf at the Players Club today got it done in the Brittany Kelly Classic. That's great. That's awesome. And both of the fields included Mid-American Conference schools, which is also extremely, extremely important. So um, some excitement there for Cam Andre and his team. Uh, they get it done uh, today in the final round to close out and win as a team, which always in college golf is the primary objective 765-287-1340 at mark wmun on twitter uh, we'll touch on this since we're um uh, mentioning ball state sports as well uh kyle nicholas right-handed pitcher in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, uh, former Ball State baseball pitcher, was called up to Major League Baseball for the Pittsburgh Pirates here in the uh, home stretch of the season. And, um, you know, I, I remember when we were in the summer and we had um, Coach Rich Maloney on, I think it was right after the Major League Baseball draft, and Ball State had, I believe, three or four different players that were getting opportunities. Opportunities um, in Major League Baseball organizations, but we also talked about the players that were up in the majors, but others that were going to have a real good opportunity uh, to join organizations very, very soon. And I think it was on the show he predicted that Kyle Nicholas 
would uh, would be one of those guys, uh, and he certainly has. Um, folks, I, this is um, abnormal uh, for a program to have this much success like Ball State baseball alums have had in the major leagues. And I say abnormal as an absolute compliment. Um, it, it, it has been incredible to watch the amount of different players that are getting opportunities. And um, it feels like every year three or four different players are getting in systems, but they're not just getting into systems. They are advancing and a lot of times hitting the big leagues. So Kyle Nicholas, the latest for Ball State Baseball, uh, an alum to make the big show. Uh, He's with the Pittsburgh Pirates and certainly one to watch as uh, we move forward here over the next couple of weeks as the regular season's going to end in Major League Baseball very soon. October's reserved for playoff baseball, and it should be a great, great set of uh, teams that will be there and We'll be talking a little bit about it on the show for sure. Calls welcome at 765-287-1340. About uh, 10 minutes from now, we'll be joined by Gus Martin from the Star Press as we uh, talk a little bit about Ball State football. But but I wanted to touch on this related to the Indianapolis Colts because, um, you know, you get the season started and you kind of get almost confused about um, how the season, how, how the schedule looks. I will say this, okay? I had the Colts at six wins this year. Okay, And if you look at the first half of their schedule, at least what we've seen so far, Jaguars, Texans, at Ravens, then at home versus the Rams and Titans, at Jacksonville, home versus the Browns and Saints, at Carolina, home versus the Patriots and Buccaneers. Does that sound daunting to you? You know, um, the Rams are one in one, probably a little bit better than what we expected. Ravens are a good football team, and that's who that's who the Colts have this week. Of course, they're 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 a good, solid football team that uh, may, at the end of the day, uh, qualify for a Super Bowl contender. Then you have the Titans, who I I say this every year, and. Sometimes I'm proven. I, I, I've been proven wrong a lot on the uh, Tennessee Titans. I'll be honest about that. But it just feels like right now this is a team that is right smack dab in the middle. I mean, right smack dab in the middle. They're going to be eight and nine, nine and eight, and maybe if they get lucky and and, and get to nine and eight, maybe they're a wild card team. But they're like. They're in the hall of very, very average. But average in the NFL probably gets you eight or nine wins. Probably does. You know, the Titans are probably looking at their schedule very similarly. But at the end of the day, the Titans are a beatable football team. I'm not saying the Colts will beat them, but you've got them coming up. You're at Jacksonville. That'll be tough. Home versus the Browns, if you watched them last night and now without Nick Chubb, winnable. Home versus the Saints, winnable. At Carolina, winnable. By the way, not going very well for Frank Reich and his uh, first year's head coach over there. Uh, Offensively last night, yikes. Uh, Carolina really, really, really struggled. Um, Home versus the Patriots. Home versus the Buccaneers. Um, oh, by the way, the Patriots game is on the road. It, it, that one in Mexico or London or overseas somewhere, uh, something like that. Anyway, um, this stretch for the Colts, like, if you told me, so you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games 
before you have kind of a, uh, a road swing where you have three out of four on the road. In that nine-game stretch, could you see four wins out of that? Again, at the Ravens, home versus the Rams and Titans. At the Jaguars, home versus the Browns and Saints. At the Panthers, Patriots, and Buccaneers that are kind of home-ish games. I don't know. I could see four teams the Colts could beat there. I really, really could. Um, Crazy to kind of think that. Again, um, you know, in nine games to be four and five, that's not bad Um, for for a team that, again, that we don't expect a whole heck of a lot from. But at the end of the day, I I think it's doable. Um, The the, the Colts' schedule is certainly not the most daunting uh, this this year for sure. All right, uh, we'll take another break. Short segment when we come back. Power Talk about CWMUN. Welcome back to the show, Power Talk of Muncie. The new WMUN is always brought to you by State Farm Agent Jason May. Make sure you get all the discounts you deserve by calling Jason at 747-7100 today. We'll be joined by Gus Martin from the Star Press here in a little bit. Talk a little bit about Ball State football, also uh, other related items in the uh, Ball State sports world as well. Uh, Coming up this week... We have the Coach's Corner, live from Mulligan's Clubhouse Grill and Crestview Golf Club. That's coming your way on Saturday morning right here at 10 a.m., kind of a little bit before what we've got with uh, Ball State football, uh, as that game will also be right here as well. Colts on Sunday, and in our high school football game of the week, it's rivalry week. If you're Westdale or you're Monroe Central, Westdale heads to Monroe Central. Uh, That game called by Jared Boomer with Rob Fisher in the booth as well coming up on Friday. Day. Uh, you can view the game. By the way, thousands of you have been watching the game on our Facebook Live. Uh, regular season games can be viewed right on our Facebook page. So um, the radio call goes over the video. So an opportunity for you to watch directly on social media as well. I'm trying to help you out in many as many ways as we can. Uh, put you right there. So um, anyway. Um, Look, I have a lot of questions about Ball State football, but I'm, I'm, I told you, through three weeks, there's a lot of optimism, a ton of optimism, um, especially the way that they closed against Indiana State. Got to like that a lot. Um, I thought there were a lot of positives, even though the scores didn't indicate so, against Georgia and against Kentucky. But, but this one coming up on Saturday is different. Like, this is the springboard that it could be for you heading into Mid-American Conference play. Georgia Southern is very Mid-American Conference-like. That's what has people very intrigued about this football game. Should be a nice day coming up on Saturday, but a heck of a football game, more importantly. So, we'll get all the details from Gus Martin from the Star Press. He joins us coming up next final segment of a Tuesday show after this. Power Talk of Muncie, the new WMUN. We're glad to be joined by Gus Martin from the Star Press. Joins us each and every week. Covers Ball State sports and local high school sports as well. Well, uh, the fourth quarter, quite an explosion there for Ball State football. What stood out most to you in that win for Ball State? Yeah, I mean, that was a really exciting day. I was glad to actually be able to go to a game. Uh, the crowd was good. I think it was 
I think it was over 15,000 for the first time on a non-homecoming weekend since 2018. So uh, that was pretty cool. And, yeah, you know, Ball State's offense got off to a little bit of a slow start there. Uh, maybe some nerves. Um, maybe some adjusting to not having number one receiver Ty Robinson. Um, but then the defense really showed up throughout the day. I mean, aside from one kind of miscommunication that allowed a wide-open streaking uh, Sycamores player, they were pretty locked down. Um, even when they got into some short fields, they were able to hold tight in the red zone and force two missed field goals. Obviously, the scoop and, scoop and score fumble um, by Keontae Newsom was uh, the highlight of the day. Uh, another great interception by uh, Tyler Red Potts where he kind of jumped a hitch route. So uh, I thought the defense looked really, really good um, against a, a team that obviously struggled but had a, a new quarterback who did a, did some decent things early on in the game. And, um, and yeah, Ball State uh, just kind of came to play and, and did what they needed to do to get that victory belt back. Yeah, um, a- anything you saw as to the explosion in the fourth quarter and what, what kind of led uh, to that? I know that's uh, kind of the conversation from the fans uh, that were at the football game for sure. Uh, I think, you know, Ball State obviously leaned on his run game offensively, and I think that definitely started to wear down in Indiana State. They were just more physical up front. I mean, they just had better players. The offensive line was just moving guys around. Marquez Cooper really showed why – you know, he was second right behind Carson Steele in rushing last year in the MAC. I mean, that kid's, that kid's electric when he gets some, some space to work with, which he didn't have against Kentucky and Georgia, understandably so. And then Rico Barfield, same thing. I mean, he's a, he's a talented guy. They have a really deep running back room, and, uh, you know, I was happy to see him kind of have his first real breakout game in a Ball State uniform, especially at home. I think Caden Samadza kind of got going a little bit as the game went on. Uh, the offense just seemed kind of out of sync passing-wise early on in the game. Um, but I think he made some good plays, finding Tanner Cozy on a couple um, nice throws that ended up in a touchdown catch for him. Um, I thought he kind of settled in. And, you know, he may not have had the most prolific game yards-wise, but he was still efficient. Um, no interceptions, only that one fumble. Um, so I think they just kind of settled in after a while. And like I said, the defense just never really let up. And once they kind of figured out what Indiana State was doing, um, they were able to turn them over and turn it into points. Yeah, the, the, the pressure from the defense has been very consistent, um, you know, even though the, the scores wouldn't indicate so against Kentucky, Georgia, uh, and, and this one uh, was totally different, obviously, from the score perspective. But uh, it just feels like this is one of the more experienced fronts and experienced pass rushes uh, that Ball State has had. Jack Stape had a great game. Sydney Houston was fantastic. And they've got, uh, you know, Keontae Newsome, Tavion Woodard. They, they just they, they go like five or six deep. It's been a while since it's been the case, but it, it's been a relentless pass rush. And um, is that something you've noted as well? Yeah, that was something I noticed even from very early on in training camp, you know, because when you're looking at the stats last year, teams really gashed Ball State at the run. And I think they were one of the lower ranking teams in number of sacks and stuff um, last year and brought a lot of those same guys back with a couple transfers. And, you know, they just look so much better, at least to my eyes this year. I mean, I covered two games last year. I didn't notice as much of a pass rush as I do this year, even against like what we were saying, those SEC teams that are supposed to have some of the best linemen in the country. Yeah, they've gotten consistently good pass rush. And um, it's really, I think it's just, it just it says a lot about their depth. Um, they rotate a lot of guys in to keep people fresh. Like you said, Jack Sape had a tremendous game. I think he had one and a half tackles for loss and one and a half sacks. Um, yeah, Sydney Houston, you know, he can be like a really good speed rusher. 
um, kind of give them a little different look um, instead of some power guys that other guys they have. And yeah, they, you know, when all else fails, you got to rely on the uh, the guys up front, like my Philadelphia Eagles do, <laughs> can, can mask up a lot of other deficiencies. <laughs> and I think so far they've done a really good job of that. And they're going to need it this this week against Georgia Southern. Had to feel good about the running game getting going. Marquez Cooper was great. You mentioned Rico Barfield, who uh, had a couple of touchdowns himself as well. But, um, man, quite a stark difference. But I guess it was to be expected that they would have a big day. But that was, uh, I think that was even above maybe what the expectations were to get that running game finally going in week three. Yeah, you know, I mean, Cooper getting the second most yards of his career, 177. I mean, that's doesn't matter who you're playing. That's an accomplishment. Um, and, yeah, Rico, they, they they both had a ton of room to run past that first level. Offensive line did a much better job this week, you know, actually creating gaps for them to explode through. And then they both made a couple people miss. Uh, Barfield even had a great run after catch on that screen pass for the game's first touchdown that I think really kind of took a little bit of weight off the team's shoulders and kind of let them relax a little bit with a two-position lead there. Uh, and, you know, that's going to have to be – a focal point of this offense with uh, a true freshman quarterback with, you know, the number one tight end out and now your number one receiver out for what seems like could be several weeks with some sort of thumb injury. And I assume, you know, if you had an MRI and it came back with some negative results, it must be some sort of ligament damage there, I would, I would guess. So, so yeah, and, you know, the other wideouts are very inexperienced besides from Ahmad Edwards. So they're going to need that running game to, to be consistently successful. And I think last Saturday was a, a step in the right direction. It's Gus Martin from the Star Press with us, uh, covering Bowl State football, among uh, other related tasks as well. Let's um, let's dive into this because, um, you know, I think the running game getting going is great uh, because I would feel like through two weeks, uh, if you're scouting Bowl State's offense, you're saying, hey, um, you know, their true freshman quarterbacks comfortable throwing the football all over the field. It's the running game that couldn't get going. Now that they were able to show uh, that powerful running attack and everything, do, do you think it allows um, Caden Samanza in this passing game, even with some injuries there, uh, to kind of have more balanced looks that this offense has uh, shown uh, the multiple sides to themselves? Yeah, I would think that that is the plan, right? Because you don't want to be predictable one way or the other. Um, and especially, like I said, when you don't have dominant pass catchers, um, you, you can't kind of be expected to overcome the defense knowing you're going to throw it like 80% of the time. So if you can be a little unpredictable, obviously it should open up stuff. They can, I don't know, do some play action or just get some different types of play calls going to where um, you, know, you can really keep a defense on their toes. And I think that should be the plan, um, you know, whenever possible. I don't see why they, I don't see any excuse for why they can't have that balance attack. Like we were talking about, they were a run-heavy team last year, and the passing attack wasn't so good. But we all, you know, kind of agree that Caden Samanza has a lot of potential and has shown an ability to be effective against Kentucky, and you know, had some flashes on the other two games. Uh, so I, I think if they can find a balance to where. You know they can have success in both ways. Obviously, that's going to you know bode well for them moving forward, and maybe the offense overall would be better than some people expected coming into the season. How would you uh, describe to uh, the community uh, Georgia Southern? I mentioned it; it's the most mid-American conference-like team that they have in their non-conference schedule, and what a perfect springboard! Your know, last non-conference game and a team that's going to resemble um, the type of competition you see a mid-American conference play. Uh, the expectation is this can be a heck of a football game coming up Saturday. 
Yeah, you know, I think that you hit the nail on the head there. I think this is a perfect springboard into Mac play. The Sun Belt and the Mac, you know, from what I've been told, are kind of similar, have some similar caliber teams. And Georgia Southern, uh, you know, it's a team they're familiar with having played them last year at their place. Um, so, you know, some of those players are also returning. You know, from what I what I remember, I covered that game last year. I remember Ball State was in it until the fourth quarter, kind of surprisingly so. I don't think as people expected it to be as close as it was. And they ended up losing, losing uh, 34 to 23, I want to say. Um, and I'll expect a similar kind of, you know, higher offense scoring game this year. Georgia Southern, so far, um, they're 2-1, and one, but... Uh, you know they they throw the ball a ton. I mean they've they've attempted 140 passes through three games. Their starting quarterback is averaging at 315 passing yards per game, but he's thrown seven interceptions, uh, five of which came last week against Wisconsin. So you know obviously Ball State has had interception in every single game so far. I think they're going to try to want to turn them over. Um, they have uh, Georgia Southern also has a, some talented running backs that kind of did some damage against Ball State last year and Jalen White and OJ Arnold, um, their top receiver. Derwin Burgess Jr. He's really good. He has 275 receiving yards already. So they they have a lot of athletes. I think better athletes than Ball State has offensively, at least uh, at the receiver position. Um, so that's going to be a challenge. But I, I think I kind of talked with Coach New on Monday's press conference. Like, you know, Ball State has seen great athletes in Kentucky, in Georgia, and, you know, this, they may have put up a lot of points, but I thought Ball State didn't look completely overmatched. Um, at least not for most of the game until maybe, you know, they just got some short fields with those turnovers against Georgia. So I think, you know, Ball State is better, better prepared for that kind of matchup than they would be if they were just going in cold, not having seen these top-caliber athletes. And I'm ex- I'm expecting a, a high-scoring, um, entertaining game. I'm not sure if Ball State can win, but I think it would be a good one to go to. All right, finally, um, uh, just kind of taking a look at high school football, four weeks left. Uh, what stands out to you? It feels like Delta and Yorktown are going to battle in their sectional. Um, you know, Westdale's getting better. Monroe Central, uh, that matchup coming up this week. And Muncie Central looking for their first win. Uh, what stood out to you the most? Yeah, I'm planning to go to uh, Monroe Central. Westdale this Friday. I'm kind of catch up on those teams. I haven't seen Monroe play yet. Definitely, they're having a down year. I believe they're one and four. They had a lot of roster turnover. And then, yeah, like you said, Westdale's put up a ton more points this season than last. I mean, I know they they still only have one win, but I think they're really trending in the right direction. And I think that could be a pretty good game this Friday. Um, but yeah, like you said, Delta and Yorktown seem to be the area's top teams. Delta, you know, had their first loss uh, this 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 past Friday to a very always good Mount Vernon team. Um, and I think, you know, they were even in that game for, for, for the most of it. So I think that was encouraging for them. They just seem to be a lot more well-rounded. Um, their young quarterback, I know he kind of didn't have a good completion percentage against Mount Vernon, but put up some yards. Uh, I, I think they're, they're a team that's playing with a lot more confidence. And, you know, if they can stay healthy, they should have another sectional matchup with Yorktown, who uh, just got off, you know, a two-game losing streak. Yeah. Did some good clutch things against Newcastle. So, yeah, I think uh, the home stretch here is going to be pretty exciting to see how it shakes out. It's Gus Martin from the Star Press, covers all angles of local sports around here and uh, joins us each and every Tuesday on the program. Hey, Gus, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it very much. Thanks, Mark. You too. That's uh, Gus Martin from the Star Press. Excellent work from him as always. That'll do it for us today. We are back with you on this program tomorrow at 4 o'clock on the Talk of Muncie, the new WMUN. Big thanks to Gus Martin. All of you have a great evening. We'll talk to you at 4 tomorrow. Sleep number